Good morning. My name is Molly Plomman, and our gathering scripture today comes from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hey Grace242, I'm going to show you the picture of an actor or an actress. And in your house churches, out loud, this is like a game, I want you to say the role or the character that you associate with that actor or actress. And then maybe if you know it as well, say the movie. So this is like a game. Let's play. Here's the first one. That, of course, is Rey Skywalker, played by Daisy Ridley in Star Wars. Another one. This is Marty McFly in the Back to the Future trilogy. Here's the next one. This is Frodo Baggins, played by Elijah Wood in the longest, most meandering movie ever, Lord of the Rings. Here's another one. Now, I think of Mary Poppins when I see this picture of Julie Andrews, but if you said Sound of Music, I'll accept that as well, because those are both iconic roles. Here's another one. That is Harry Potter, played by Daniel Radcliffe. Here's another one. That's Ferris Bueller, played by Matthew Broderick in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Another one. This, of course, is Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Another one. That is Napoleon Dynamite, played by John Hedder. And lastly, and that of course is Wonder Woman, played by Gal Gadot. Hopefully you were able to name a few of these roles that you just saw. Now these are people, they're actors and actresses, playing a character role. But that role is so iconic that we almost can't separate the person, the actor slash actress, from the role that they're playing. I mean, to our minds, Macaulay Culkin is Kevin McAllister. Daisy Ridley and Ray Skywalker are one and the same. Harry Potter and Daniel Radcliffe are inseparable. Wonder Woman and Gal Gadot go together. So inseparable is the person and the role that we often refer to the character name in place of the person. For instance, we might say things like, Jimmy Fallon had Ray as a guest on his show last night. Or, Marty McFly was on that TV show, Family Ties. These people and the character roles that they play are inseparable. You almost can't have one without the other. They're inseparable identities. It's the same way with Christians and disciples. They're inseparable identities. You can't have one without the other. You can't be a Christian and not be a disciple. Being a disciple is not some sort of optional activity that you choose or choose not to engage in as a Christian. Being a disciple is not some status to be reached once you've been a Christian long enough. Being a disciple is being a Christian, and being a Christian is being a disciple. There is no difference. German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. In other words, Christianity without discipleship is no Christianity at all. You cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple. That's worth repeating. You cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple. The two are inseparable. 
This isn't just me making some sort of cognitive maneuver to try to challenge us all. The New Testament does the same thing. The New Testament treats Christians and disciples as one and the same. Dallas Willard says, The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's look at our scripture reading today, and this will be very familiar to you. This is called the Great Commission because it is Jesus' final missional instructions to his followers. These are his last words before he ascends into heaven to his followers and says, here's what I'm entrusting you all as followers of me to do. Let's look at Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Has it ever piqued your interest that Jesus never uses the word Christian in his final instructions to his followers? He doesn't say, make Christians of all nations. He doesn't say, teach Christians of all nations. He doesn't say, baptize Christians of all nations. No, he says, make disciples. Check this out. The word disciple appears 269 times in the New Testament whereas the word Christian only appears three times. Now we know the word Christian first appeared at Antioch. Look with me at Acts 11, and we'll read verses 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. It's very likely that the term Christian was first coined as a pejorative to speak ill of the people who followed Jesus. And Peter underscores this in 1 Peter 4.16. He's going to connect the word Christian to suffering. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 16. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. The New Testament sees no difference between a disciple and a Christian. According to the New Testament, they are one and the same. There is no difference. But we separate the two. That's the problem. The American church separates Christianity from being a disciple, and that's something the New Testament never does. Here's Dallas Willard again. The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ. I love how Willard characterizes being a disciple of Jesus as being an apprentice of Jesus. Discipleship and Christianity go together. They are one and the same. There is no difference. A Christian is one who apprentices themselves to Jesus, and one who apprentices themselves to Jesus is a Christian. The two go together. Grace 242's mission statement is being, making, and multiplying disciples. Therefore, our mission statement is to apprentice yourself to Jesus. And in so doing, you train other apprentices of Jesus with the goal that your apprentices would then go out and train other apprentices of Jesus. Now, as I've visited various house churches, the question that I've been getting a lot is, how? This is the last week in our Sense series, and it would be a colossal failure if we went 15 weeks talking about discipleship without ever acting upon it, without ever doing something in response. Earlier this week, I met with a nutritionist. It's the first time I've met with a nutritionist in my life, 
and I already had some ideas of what she was going to say to me. And sure enough, in the meeting, one of those things that I had anticipated came up and it was, you need to eat more vegetables. And so she gives me this list of vegetables, they're in a column on this page, and she asks me, is there anything on that column that you like? I'm scanning the list and I'm getting nervous because I'm like, oh, I'm not seeing anything. And all of a sudden I saw carrots, woohoo, carrots, they're on the list, yay, I can eat carrots. So I was celebrating that and, and meeting with her was actually a great experience. And we came up with this plan and she taught me about making better choices. And so I walked out of the clinic and I had my resources in hand and I had my plan and like two goals. And I'm like, yay, ready to take on the world, right? And, and then my first meal came up and it became time for me to already put the plan that we had put together into action and begin to make the better choices that we had talked about. And I realized, oh no, now I actually have to start limiting my carbs. Now I should probably not choose an Arnold Palmer even though I love them so much. I probably shouldn't go through a drive-through. That would be a bad choice. I need to make better choices. And so in that moment I realized, man, it was really easy and almost fun to talk to the nutritionist but now that it became time to actually do something, that was hard. Talking was easy, but doing was hard. I feel like that's where we're at with this series. We've spent 14 weeks talking to the nutritionist, and now it's time for us to begin the hard work of action, of doing. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give you a ton of suggestions. I wanna spend the rest of the time today throwing out suggestions of how you can begin to do the mission. And how about this? How about we agree that we're all going to do at least one of these? We're just going to start there. We're going to do at least one of these suggestions. Now I'm going to give you this list and you might want to write these down. Now this is one that is not new. I've suggested this before, but the first suggestion is to pray for a person of peace. Ask God to open your eyes to someone who is open to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to someone whom you can befriend, share life with, and pour your life of following Jesus into. For some of you, this prayer for a person of peace has already been answered, and you know it. And the next step is a very scary one because it means engaging your person of peace. Here's how I've done this step, this engaging of the person of peace that the Lord has revealed to me. Here's how this has looked in my life. I've approached the person and I've simply said something like, hey, for whatever reason, the Lord has just placed you on my heart and in my prayers, your name continues to come up and so I just kind of want to be faithful to the Lord. So I was wondering, would you be open to meeting up weekly or every once in a while? And, and we can maybe meet at a coffee shop and just sort of open our Bibles together, pray. I'd love to share life with you, get to know you a little bit more. And, and would that something that you'd be open to? That's how I've done it. Just sort of make the ask. I kind of blame it on the Lord. I'm like, hey, this is the Lord's fault, you know? He's the one who keeps putting your name on my heart. I don't know why, I just want to be faithful to the Lord. Now there's many ways to engage your person of peace and one of those ways is to open the doors of your home to that person. Ask them if they would like to share a meal with you at your house. Grill out. Have them hang out on your deck some evening. If they like games and you like games, host a game night or something. This one works really well in a family context, especially if you have young kids at home kind of like I do. You tend to take that time to do as much as possible as a family. And so, as a family, find a family of peace that you can open the doors of your home to. Invite that family into your home and then pour into that family as a family of Jesus followers. As a quick aside, this is another reason why I love our house churches. Jesus worked his mission through oikoses or homes of peace. And there's something Jesus-y about opening the doors of your home 
and inviting other people into your space. Another way to engage your person of peace is to bless them. This one works really well if your person of peace is not a believer or maybe they're a skeptic about Jesus and faith. Bless them can take many forms. You can speak words of affirmation to this person. You can send them a card of encouragement. You can get this person a gift. Maybe you have a coworker who provides some welcome comedic relief at these otherwise insufferable meetings. Send them a card of encouragement and say, hey, I just appreciate the humor you bring to those meetings. It's, you're the only way that I survived those meetings. Thank you for being my lifeline. You can even use the Bible when you speak words of affirmation or encouragement to someone. Maybe you have a coworker who de-escalated a contentious interaction at work and you say to them, hey, I really appreciate the way that you de-escalated everything back there. I appreciated the way you were a peacemaker. You know, Proverbs 15:1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And, and your kind words, your gentle answer, it just calmed the whole room down. So thank you for the foresight to say what you did when you did. You can also combine blessing someone with sharing a meal with them. Maybe you and your spouse invite a couple of peace out to dinner and you cover the bill. No matter where your person of peace falls on the unbelief to belief continuum, you should always have a goal of getting to the place where you can open the Bible and read the Bible together. Maybe it takes two years before your person of peace will even open up the Bible. Maybe your person of peace is brand new to opening up the Bible. Regardless, you should want to read the Bible with this person. As a quick note, if you've been with someone for two years and they're still unwilling to even open the Bible with you or unwilling to even read it on their own, then perhaps that's an indicator that they might not be a person of peace. That's something you're gonna to have to evaluate at that point. If your person of peace is a believer, then I'm getting into the Bible right off the bat. I'm getting into the Bible from the start. And there's lots of ways that you can do this. You can agree on a reading together. So you agree what you're going to read, then you read it, then you come together to talk about it. You can find a reading plan online that you do together. Or maybe you're even just going to take one chapter and you're going to read that together. When you come together, one of you is going to read out loud, then the other person is going to read out loud. And once you've done that reading, you're going to talk about it. And you're simply going to talk about questions like, what is the Lord highlighting for you? What questions does this reading elicit? What, where are you confused? And what do you feel the Lord is saying to you as you read this? What do you feel like you ought to do as a result of what you read? How is the Lord impacting your life? How does the Lord want to shape who you are through what you just read? Now, just like Bible reading, prayer is another top priority. You ought to be praying together. Now, if your person of peace is not a believer, they might actually be more willing to be prayed over by you than they would be to open the Bible with you. And so prayer might be an open door to your person of peace if they don't believe. But prayer needs to be a top priority for you and your person of peace. You should be praying together regularly. This is so important because recently I realized that learning how to pray is more caught than it is taught. We learn to pray by being in the presence of others as they pray. Recently, I came to the realization that I have a very conversational style of prayer, that when I speak to the Lord, I speak to Him almost no differently than I would speak to any other human that I'm in the presence with or conversing with. I just kind of talk to the Lord. My vocabulary is very similar. My turns of phrases are very similar. My tone, my rate, everything is very similar. It's almost the same as how I'd talk to anybody else. And so I came to that realization 
And then recently, I was praying with the man who discipled me, Brian Jacobson. And Brian was the one speaking at that moment. And as Brian was speaking, I realized Brian is doing this same conversational type prayer thing that I do. That he's talking to the Lord almost in this conversational style in the same way that I talk to the Lord. And after we got done praying, I told him, I said, you know, I think I just made a realization. I said, I think I caught my conversational style of prayer from you because you just now were doing that same conversational style thing. And Brian said, that's really fascinating, Bill, because I caught my conversational style of prayer from the man who discipled me. His name was Jeff. So isn't this just a beautiful image of discipleship that I caught the conversational prayer style from Brian and Brian caught the conversational prayer style from Jeff? Prayer is more caught than it is taught. This is why praying with your disciple is of utmost importance. Another way to engage your person of peace is to ask them, how have you seen the Lord at work in your life? Every time you meet, ask them, how have you seen God at work? How have you seen his hand? And once you've asked them, be ready to listen, be totally present to them, and totally present to the Holy Spirit in that moment. Be praying, asking the Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to speak to me as they're sharing? As someone who is dedicated, committed to pouring my life of following Jesus into this person, what is it you would have me say or not say? Do I just need to listen, Holy Spirit, at this moment? Is there a scripture that you want me to point them to? Or what are the things you want me to say? Because right now, I just want to be your vessel for this person. I just want to be your blessing for this person. So help me as this person shares. Help me connect some dots if some dots need to be connected. Help me challenge them or, or push on some things that might need to be pushed on. Help me to give them affirmation and encouragement where they need that. Just help me to be totally present. Help me to be your vessel to this person of peace that you've given to me. Asking the question, how have you seen the Lord at work in your life, also forms the habit for this person of reflecting. We all need to be reflecting on how the Lord is at work and celebrating the ways the Lord is at work in our lives. We should be constantly asking ourselves this very question. And so asking it of your person of peace gets them into the habit of reflecting because they know when they're going to meet up with you, they're going to have to tell you how the Lord's been at work in their life. Now I want you to just look at this list for a second. And I'm guessing that many of these things are hard for us. Many of these would be a huge step outside of our comfort zone. Many of these things are very different from the ways that we normally behave or the things we normally do. But what I find encouraging about this list is that though these things are hard, they are all very simple. None of these things are complicated. Every single one of these things is something that anybody can do. Hear me again, everybody at Grace 242 can do at least one of these things. Grace 242 kids and students, let me speak to you for a second. You can do this too. This is how simple this is. Every single one of you, Grace 242 kids and students, you can do this. Because I know that every single one of you can speak encouraging words to a fellow classmate. Maybe tell someone who you sit next to in a particular class, maybe tell that person what you appreciate about them. Tell them their best qualities. You can say, hey, you are a very bright and cheerful person and you make my day brighter when I come into the classroom each morning. Maybe you can even write them a card, draw them a picture, affirm them. Maybe you tell someone, hey, I've noticed that you really have a heart for the, the other kids who might not be so popular in our grade. And I really appreciate how you care about everybody in that way. You can encourage your classmates. This is something that you can do as well. 
This list is probably difficult, but it's not complicated. It's very simple. That's what I love about Jesus's way of doing the mission he gave us. It's very simple. Every single one of us can do at least one of the things on this list. I'll end this entire series by showing you a picture that I took recently of a bumper sticker that I saw on a car while I was driving through Milwaukee. Here's the bumper sticker. It has the reference Matthew 28:19, and so here's what Matthew 28:19 says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the bumper sticker references Matthew 28:19, but then above it is the tagline, get it done. That's our mission statement, Grace 242. Let's get it done. Love you all.